and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 125, recorded on September 29th, 2019. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. Good to be connected with you. And we kick the show off this week with some big news from the CentOS project. Yeah, CentOS 8 has been released exactly as we thought it would be this week. But also CentOS Stream has been released, something we weren't expecting. Looking back at the reports of a delay, you wonder if maybe this was part of the eight release delay. CentOS Stream will, or now is, a rolling release distro that exists as midstream between the upstream development in Fedora Linux and downstream development in Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So it's kind of in between the two, which is a perfect spot. There was kind of a hole here before. Things would happen in Fedora. It would get in good shape. Then the Red Hat Enterprise team would come in. They'd grab that, and they'd start working on that, and then they'd eventually release a Red Hat Enterprise Linux based on that, but there was really no between, nothing back and forth. This sits right in that middle spot now. It's not an upstream. It's not a downstream. It's a midstream distro. This is going to be a really useful distro for developers who are targeting RHEL, because the updates that you're going to get in CentOS Stream reflect the updates that you're going to get in the minor release versions of RHEL. Right. So what you get now in CentOS Stream will eventually become Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.1. That's kind of how this works. I like that because Fedora moves really fast, and I love it on my desktop, but it moves a little too fast for me to use it properly on a server. And RHEL, well, that moves a little too slow. And so CentOS sits right there in the middle where it could could sort of be that perfect amount of movement where things stay fresh, you get nice new packages, you kind of see where RHEL's going, um, but it's not limited to nine months-ish of support. You, you get many years of support. Uh, that sounds ideal to me. And I've always kind of been a fan of the semi-rolling or fully rolling model, and this just brings it in a sort of consumable way to the server. Of course, you will still have regular CentOS 8 and the various updates to that, which I think will probably be more popular on servers because a rolling release? Yeah, yeah. It's good for Chris, but it's not necessarily good for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're running it on one server that's not critical, then maybe it'd be good. But, well, I mean, you're mad enough to use Fedora on a server, so what does that tell you? That's right, man. Hey, back in the bad old days, I was using Gentoo, so don't listen to me at all <laughs> on this topic. But I think it's pretty neat, too, because from a... Um, not just a developer's perspective on what's coming to RHEL, but also from a contribute back to one of the more significant Linux distributions directly, by contributing back to CentOS Stream, those fixes and patches will make it into RHEL in a more direct way than it does currently with Fedora. Some stuff from Fedora makes it, but but not everything. Um, and that's fascinating. Didn't see this one coming. And now I'm just left with a few questions. How will the CentOS project handle maintaining both the traditional CentOS and the Stream version? Perhaps it fits right into their workflow, or perhaps it's a burden. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. And then additionally, I think another question we have is, what as an end user should I expect in terms of package update frequency? Every day I'm going to have 30 packages or about 30 packages a month. And those are just questions we won't know until we try it some more, which uh, we both did for the show here. Yeah, I tried both versions, CentOS 8 and CentOS 8 Stream, and I went for the workstation installation, and it was a bit rough, to be honest. Both of them were. I think CentOS 8 was less rough, but there was a clear difference between them. Just simple things like going to GNOME software, I got errors straight away, which was weird, like about some extensions that were 404-ing or something. And um, in Stream, there was no GIMP 
which was a bit weird, but then there was in the regular CentOS. I didn't spend a great deal of time with it, but it's, you know, CentOS is not really a desktop distro, is it? And um, that was made pretty clear to me when I tried it out. <laughs> yeah, I suppose not. Although you'll wonder if Stream could end up making a, a decent base for a workstation, much like Ubuntu LTS does. So it's worth checking out. But no, I tried it out on the server myself. I I wanted to see what it was like to try to go from 7 to 8, which I haven't figured out yet, I have to be honest. But I'm not very familiar. We only have one. I, this is the only CentOS box I have, so I just haven't done it before. Um, this is my first one. And then I tried it out uh, on Linode as well, which has a one-click deployment image already of it. Once you get it set up, if you've used Fedora in the last few releases, you're right at home. You've got DNF by default installed, ready to go now. Even the desktop graphics stack is is more in line with what you get in Fedora. Wayland is available, uh, and it comes with Cockpit pre-installed. They they refer to it more as like a, I think they just call it the, the web interface, but it's it's Cockpit, and so you get a great web UI that is safe and pretty capable to manage the box if you'd like. And this is the first version of CentOS that ships with Podman, which replaces Docker. And um, of course, Docker's available as well. I think it's the best release of RHEL ever. And so by that extension, it's the best release of CentOS ever. I've never in my life been hyped <laughs> about a CentOS release or a RHEL release, but I just think as we round out 2019, we're in a position where we have really good long-term support distributions. Ubuntu LTS 18.04 is in a really good spot right now. It's It's gone through some release cycles. It is really solid on my production systems. And CentOS 8 looks like it's a great release. And it's also supported for many years. We have a spoil of choices right now, Joe. Yeah, just when we get to the point where the underlying OS doesn't really matter anymore, we're spoiled for choice. <laughs> that is a bit ironic. Uh, one last note. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes over to a post by Matthew Miller about f- where Fedora and CentOS fit together, and he paints a pretty good picture. Um, he said, sometime after the previous RHEL release, Red Hat would then suddenly turn more attention to Fedora than usual. A few months later, Red Hat would split off a new RHEL version developed internally. And then after some months, that'd be put into the world, including all of the source from which then CentOS is built. That source drop would continue for updates, and sometimes those would include patches that were in Fedora, but there was never any real visible connection, and each step had problems. Intermittent attention, closed-door development, blind code drops, not quite enough ongoing transparency, but now with this shift, it's really opening all of that up. Fedora is the top upstream. It flows through CentOS stream, which makes it into RHEL which opens up a whole layer of visibility we never saw before and really, I think, safely positions each project logically where you could see they would stick around and survive in the future IBM structure, IBM Red Hat structure. There's a clear value position for each of those. Yeah, I think that's true. And it makes me wonder, are we going to see Fedora taking more risks and trying more new stuff and and kind of going out on a limb a little bit more? Because you got that CentOS buffer now. Exactly. So I think this could potentially be very good news. Not so good news, though, for Docker. Ironically, since a lot of the workloads these systems are doing now involves containers, once valued at over a billion dollars, Docker has now told their employees they're having significant challenges. Yeah, an internal email has leaked from the CEO, Rob Bearden, which says that they're looking to get some more funding and kind of uh, hold tight while we do it. It does not paint a very good picture at all of how Docker's doing financially. But is this a real surprise? Not 
really, is it? Because Docker, although the technology is amazing and used by tons of people across the industry, they don't really have that much of a business model. Yeah, the company attempts to sell a range of products to help businesses manage their deployments of multiple containers, but the revenue hasn't really taken off in a way that matches the funding and the requirements. And it appears, according to these emails, which we'll have a story linked in the show notes, that this has been an ongoing internal discussion about their struggle. And uh, he writes, quote, Thank you for persevering in spite of the lack of clarity we've had these past few weeks. That doesn't sound like a a very pleasant environment to work in. And here's something else to consider. Bearden joined in May. He became the fourth CEO and just their third since 2017. They're really trying to get some traction here and they're they're struggling. Um, They have around 500 employees on the books. They're based out of San Francisco and they've raised more than $200 million in funding. And they're looking at going another round, but it's, it's a really tricky thing because their core product is baked into the operating system. And uh, like I just talked about, RHEL 8 is shipping Podman, which allows you to manage containers, some would argue, in a more secure way that uh, doesn't involve Docker. And Canonical uses LexD, there's SystemD containers, there's, there's several competing technologies that are baked into platforms um, that then have their own management tools on top of them. Or there's things like Kubernetes, which truly essentially make Docker just an implementation detail. Well, I hope that they can sort themselves out because it would be a shame for them to go bust and go away. But somehow I'm not hopeful. I completely agree. It, does, it seems like there should be something there. And they've, they've done some good in this space. Like They, they deserve to, to find a way to make a living. I hope the Gnome Foundation gets some good news because they're currently facing a lawsuit from the Rothschild Patent Imaging LLC. There's a brief post about this on Gnome.org where they quote Neil McGovern, the executive director of the Gnome Foundation, and he says, we've retained legal counsel and intend to vigorously defend against this baseless suit. But he also says, due to ongoing litigation, we unfortunately cannot make any further comments at this time, which is understandable, really. But this is just a straight up patent troll going after Shotwell. Yeah, and you are right. It is a patent troll. That's literally what they do. In fact, um, back in 2017, they sued a barbecue restaurant as well as 15 other small franchises and restaurants and family-owned businesses for using QR codes. And the real icing on the cake, of course, is the uh, patent troll has uh, enjoyed doing their work out of the Eastern District of Texas, where uh, that federal court has been a hot spot for these types of patent suits and generally been one that patent trolls prefer to go to. It's classic patent troll material, stuff that we used to be commonly seeing years ago. They're just, they're like playing one of the greatest hits. Yeah, and once again, this highlights the absurdity of software patents in the first place. Yeah, and in this case, it it seems to come down to how Shotwell can intelligently transfer images over Wi-Fi, at least according to the initial research I did into this patent complaint. It's not something particularly unique to Shotwell. Uh, but they're willing, again, to go after barbecue restaurants. So they'll go, they're going to go after the Gnome Foundation. By the way, we'll have a link in the show notes if you would like to donate to Gnome. They offer things from PayPal bank transfer, a check, or even Bitcoin. Any amount would probably help right now. We'll have that link at linuxactionnews.com slash 125. Yeah, it sounds like that's going to be very expensive for them. But something that's not expensive are Android Go edition phones. Right. And now we have Android 10 
Go Edition, which uh, says it's faster and includes that new encryption that we talked about before, Adamantium, I think it was called, or Admantium, and um, as well as a couple other like design for mobility apps. I'm a, I got to say, I'm a little jealous, Joe. I wish I could find a phone that had Android Go on it. Adiantum, by the way. Shocker that you can't pronounce something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the guy. To, I'm not the official pronunciation guy. That's not me. <laughs> well, there are some Android Go edition phones available in the US, but this is very much aimed at developing markets. Phones with a gigabyte and a half of memory or less. And I think realistically, if you got hold of one of these, you'd be wanting your Pixel back pretty quickly. Yeah, I just I'm in love with the idea. In some places, you can get a phone for as low as $27. It might only have 3G and no storage, but $27 phone prices, I feel like I'll never see those again in my life, at least for anything that I'd want to use. But I did grab um, their Photo Go gallery app that they've made available for Android Go. They don't seem to make the YouTube Go app available, which is a bummer because I think it supports like downloading and lower bitrate videos, which would be great when I'm on a MiFi. But their photo app that they make available for Android Go is nice. It's much lighter than Google Photos. When you get a when you get an official Android device with a real Google ROM, I know you're not familiar with these, Joe. But when you get one, they got this app on there called <laughs> ITs called Google Photos, and of course, it's their upload photo analysis, get all your information service. It's pretty good, and it's pretty creepy. Um, but it's slow sometimes, especially when you have a bad connection and you just want to view some pictures you took. And this. This app that they include here is is really good. You can just get it on the Play Store. So a big recommendation on that one. Well, YouTube-wise, my recommendation for that is NewPipe, which is available from F-Droid. We talked about it on Choose Linux a couple of months ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you should definitely check that out. That's got um, the different bit rates or resolutions at least and supports downloading and all sorts. And yeah, completely free software as well. It's called Gallery Go. and I'll, I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes to the Play Store if I can. If they'll, if they'll let me, they'll probably let me at least link to uh, the US version. But this release has come pretty soon after the regular Android 10 release. So it shows that they are still very serious about this, which isn't a huge surprise given that they do want to get into these developing markets. It is pretty quick after the release. You're right. That's a fair observation there. I also, speaking of observations, a developer, quote, a recognized developer as uh, xdadevelopers.com writes it, has found a new commit merged into AOSP titled, quote, mount multiple DSU partitions when present, end quote, which looking at the code and the name of it seems to offer the ability to try out an OEM update before you commit to it. You can try it and revert back if you don't like it. Why do you suppose they would offer this, Joe? It doesn't seem like this solves the issue. The issue is that people aren't updating and upgrading often enough or can't. Not that they want to revert back, but maybe I'm wrong? Well, anecdotally, I've seen people who are on older versions and have updates available but don't want to do it because they're worried it's going to break something. So maybe it's aimed at those kind of people. I mean, I always just do all the updates that I possibly can because they're generally going to be security updates as well as feature updates. But... Some people I've seen on iOS specifically, people just not wanting to do those updates because oh, what if it breaks X, Y, and Z? And people don't like change. So giving them the option to see, okay, it's fine, everything works, and then commit to it afterwards seems pretty logical. Yeah, perhaps. It, it would be a really nice feature just in, you know, just in case you didn't like some new thing the carrier added or the OEM added. It seems, seems really nice. 
Um, not so sure about Microsoft Edge on Linux, though. That <laughs> that I guess I would I would give it a go. But there's uh, there's rumors afloat, Joe. Yeah, this week Sean Larkin, who is the technical program manager for various things at Microsoft, including Edge tweeted, we on the Microsoft Edge team are fleshing out requirements to bring Edge to Linux, and we need your help with some assumptions. And then links to a form, which is obviously not a Google form, but looks exactly like a Google form (laughs) from uh, Microsoft Office. And they're asking developers to fill in the survey for them. So it looks like this might actually be happening then. Yeah, they're curious about the, quote, scenarios you primarily use a web browser on Linux for. Some of the options are automated testing, web development, or personal browsing. They're curious about distributions. They offer Ubuntu, Debian, OpenSUSE, Red Hat, Fedora, and other. Just trying to get an idea of maybe who their target audience would be. And I'd say, why not give them some help? We'll have a link to the tweet, and which then links to the form if you'd like to give them your take on it. It's always good to have more software on Linux, and it would be a heck of a story and really something to watch how they pull it off. Like, how do they deliver it? Do they snap it? Do they make it available as a PPA? Like, how does Microsoft ship a browser on Linux in, say, early 2020? Yeah, I'll try it out. Not on my main machine, obviously. Yeah, I'd give it a go-to. I would, because... um, Honestly, I probably at this point in time have more trust in my web browsing data with Microsoft than I do Google. (laughs) Sorry, Googs. I know that you probably don't want to hear that, but it's just where it's at right now. And that's why every day Chris is using Firefox. (laughs) Every day I'm using Firefox now. I still got Chrome installed. I'm all about Firefox. Also, side note, it's butter smooth on Wayland. Well, something not so smooth this week is more rumblings in this Richard Stallman saga. This week, he sent an email to the Info GNU mailing list saying, On September 16, I resigned as president of the Free Software Foundation, but the GNU project and the FSF are not the same. I'm still the head of the GNU project, in brackets, the chief GNU since, <laughs> and I intend to continue as such. He's such a funny guy, isn't he? Um, but then, later on in the week, a post appeared in his political notes which is kind of his blog, Um, he probably wouldn't like it being called that, but it is, saying that he was resigning effective immediately. Yeah. Quote, I hereby step down as head of the GNU project, effective immediately. That's it. Short and sweet on his side. Yeah, there were actually a couple of these that appeared and then subsequently disappeared. And now the whole political notes section of his site is 404-ing. Which was loading when we started recording this podcast, which is interesting, Joe. It's gone down since we started recording. It's all very, very strange, except if you look at the 404 message and realize that he's running Apache Mm 2.2.22 on Debian. Right. That's an old version of Apache, Joe. Um, There's several CVEs that don't look so good that are open for that one. And then additionally, if you were to connect to his SSH server and read the banner... It appears to be a version from Debian Wheezy, which generously got its last security patches in May of 2018, and that's, that's being pretty generous. Perhaps the internet noticed that his server's out of date and is having a poke. Um, it's been weird, though, because if you look at his notes page, his resignation has come and gone several times. I have two tabs open right now. One tab is before we started recording, and his resignation's right on there. I hereby step down as head of the GNU project, comma, effective immediately, period, Richard Stallman, end quote, right there on my page. I open up the other tab that I just clicked on as we started talking about this, and it's gone. 
I don't know what this means. If you go by what's in the mailing list, the GNU Info mailing list, the last post there is Richard Stallman saying he's staying. And there's been no updates to that, no other posts. So I don't know. It, it was up on his site. And unless he lost control of his server, it went back several times. There's archive.org examples of this. And then was taken off several times. Perhaps they're finessing the announcement. <laughs> Who knows? We're going to have to watch this this week, I think. Hopefully, we'll get an official announcement on that mailing list, and then we'll know for sure. Well, we'll keep you up to date. Whatever happens on this and all the other stories, go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes every single week. And go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch with us. And I want to really recommend you check out Self Hosted this week, selfhosted.show slash two. We traveled to see Wendell Wilson from Level 1 Techs, got to tour his setup, and then sit down and talk about why self-host in that episode and it turned out fantastic. Selfhosted.show slash two. Yeah, there's all sorts in there, but what jumped out at me was him talking about his home server, which he was very casual about, oh yeah, it's just this minor thing, but the storage in that thing alone, you could run a small office from. So uh, <laughs> he's very serious about this stuff. Yeah, he has a great setup and a super cool trick for presence detection, which uh, really got me thinking. But this here show, we'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I am at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Bye.